This week, I welcome back an old friend who has a ghost story to tell, plus a top haunt in the United States, and my dog's freaking me out. You might have been a little confused when you saw the name Edgar Mills in the title. Not if you know this, but I was a radio show host. I know it does, I know you're impressed. Don't, don't get too impressed. It only lasts for a little while. I um, co-hosted a radio show on uh, McMaster Radio for, oh man, had to be, a, I think it was at least a few months. It, you know what? Actually, it might have been a year or so because I remember a year did pass. We did an anniversary. And when I was on that show, uh, there was a, a character that was uh, that was brought in to tell ghost stories and his name was Edgar Mills. Yeah, this is a very interesting type character. Think uh you know serious, think uh you know a little bit like uh um Hitchcock, kind of like a Hitchcock feel. Uh, so into the ghost stories. So I thought it'd be perfect, you know, since he's not doing anything right now to 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 bring him back. I want to bring him back for this podcast and I, I hope you enjoy it if, if for some reason you don't let me know but how could you not I mean uh, he is a, a true ghost storyteller so without further ado I introduce a ghost story from Edgar Mills my name is Edgar Mills and the following story is a personal experience by a real person just like you. Names have been changed to protect the witnesses. It happened to my daughter who will be 15 years old tomorrow. Back when she was only three, one of my dearest friends, John Coppin, died suddenly. He had a massive heart attack inside his home. We lived about a mile away, and one of the paramedics knew us and how close we were. They called us immediately after hearing the address at around 5.30 in the morning. My husband rushed to John's house, beating the ambulance. I was still at home, in bed with my daughter sleeping beside me. But I couldn't relax. I got up and walked out and shut the bedroom door behind me. It was around 6.15 a.m. when my husband called to say that sadly our friend was dead, that he'd stay there with John's wife until the coroner arrived. It was around 10 when my daughter woke. All sleepy and adorable, she walked out and crawled into my lap snuggled up and said, John Coppin came to see me. I leaned back. What did you say? I asked. She said, yep, he came in the room, talked to me from the window, told me bye-bye. I asked her what the man looked like and she said, he was darkness. Her word for when the lights were off. She was only three years old. She said John's full name as plain as day, which she didn't know. 
My daughter always called John and his wife uncle and auntie. There's no way she could have known he died. She didn't even know what death was. And after all this, even to today, I love thinking it was really his spirit coming to say goodbye. And I wondered I'd feel if I stayed in the bedroom with my daughter. I'd like to think I'd feel peace, but most likely, I'd be terrified. I hope you enjoyed that ghost story. Uh, as I've mentioned, he will return in future episodes. Now for the main subject of this episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about an American haunt. I've been doing a lot in my own home of uh, southern Ontario and Canada, especially, you know, Hamilton and Niagara, Toronto. But we don't have the corner market of haunted locations. And you go down into the United States and some of the most haunted locations in the entire world exist as many within driving distance of southern Ontario, which I love personally. And one of the ones that tops the list due to its fame is a place called Mansfield Reformatory. Now, a while back, I put some articles up on the Ghost Walks website. If you don't know, there are articles on the Ghost Walks website. A lot of them are short form, just, you know, quick reads so you can get some information about a location. And then you could, if you like a place, you can go do more research on it yourself. They're very to the point. And one of the main reasons why we did it that way is because I find that when you go read ghost stories, and this might be one of the reasons why podcasts like mine exist or uh, lore or other uh, podcasts that do history and ghosts, is that a lot of those stories are very overwritten. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, like a, a ghost story that could be written in two paragraphs will usually take up four. And I'm, I think part of that is for the um, uh, search engine optimization so that Google, you know, takes you more serious because the more text you have, the more serious they take you. And I didn't really care about that. But the other part of it is the fact that um, if a story is told from a, a party who heard it from a friend, so a friend of a friend kind of thing, you usually add more details to the story because it's not your own personal experience. This is something I've noticed. So they'll repeat the same factors over and over again. And being a person who writes other people's ghost stories, I've caught myself doing that as well. This is how I know about it. So usually when it's a real experience, though, people will come at it from a very personal point of view. There'll be a lot of emotions put into the story. You might have heard that from the one that uh, Edgar Mills read earlier. And it's very quick to the point. So when it's just overdrawn, not only does the reader lose their attention, but the story I don't think is uh, as memorable. You're going to forget about it in like five or ten minutes. So I've always been a proponent of making sure that you, you know, write a story in a very professional manner, that you do it in a way that is like the original art of storytelling, even though it is a real story. It's not something that's written. That, that it, it sticks with a person much longer. It's more entertaining to read. 
So I did this kind of a short form thing with the articles because I've read other ghost articles and noticed that it's very long form and that a lot of these mistakes are made. Not to say all of them, just some. Other ones, you know, very well researched, uh, adding a ton of history in, which, of course, history and ghosts are very well connected. So I'm all for that. So that was the idea behind the articles and putting them up. I noticed um, this is also a good way to find out what's very popular with people. And I noticed that Mansfield Reformatory is very popular with people. And there's a big reason for this. I mean, just just do a Google search right now for Mansfield Reformatory. It's spelled M-A-N-S-F-I-E-L-D Reformatory. And just have a look at the building. And you, you probably might be thinking in the back of your mind, hey, I think I've seen this building before. And the reason for that is it's famous in Hollywood. It's one of the most famous prison locations to film movies and TV shows. And just off the top of my head, I mean, the most famous uh, movie that was filmed there is an Oscar winner uh, called Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if you know this, but uh, that was based on a short story written by the uh, horror author Stephen King. It was from a book called Four Seasons, I believe. And it was in the same book that was with the story The Body, which would be made into the movie Stand By Me, and a story called Apt Pupil, which was also made into a movie starring um, Ian McKellen and uh, I think Edward Furlong. No, not Edward Furlong, the other one. Brad something. Anyway, sorry. And the fourth story, I don't remember what that was, so... I'm sure it'll be made into a movie eventually. But this building here, I mean, just looking at the picture of the building inside and out, you're probably thinking, okay, this place was made to torture its inmates. And that's not true at all. In fact, it was done for the opposite. So they said when they uh, did the architecture, a man named uh, Levi Schofield, he did the architecture for the building and his idea around it was to uh, promote rehabilitation. And he wanted to make it to be hopeful. But if you look at the pictures of the outside and the inside, I, I think our, our views of hopeful have changed over the years because it is not hopeful. It is the opposite of hopeful. I would say it's hopeless if I was going to say anything at all. I mean, it's the first has got the tallest cell blocks in the entire world so you could cram as many people in there as you wanted is six levels of cells and uh, there's a picture on uh, the ghost walk site and you find it online uh, showing the height the absolute height of these cells and the other thing is i mean just the outside looks like a gothic a haunted house and that's what it's become but i mean back in the day if you were being led up to this place I think the last thing you'd be thinking is hope. The last thing you'd be thinking, oh, you know, I, I can't wait to get out of this place. It's just completely the opposite. So they built it with rehabilitation in mind, and that just did not stick. So the idea behind it uh, didn't hold well in history because of the violence that went on inside there. I mean, it's not over-the-top level violence like you might get at a West Virginia penitentiary which was not built for hope, it was built for fear. But it is still violence. 
And when I, when I, when I, when I look at these stories, you know, the guards and the inmates who have died in there, the committed suicide and, you know, the violence among the inmates, I mean, it's just, it just didn't work out. And these are the only ones that have been reported. I know with uh, jails back in his day, even in Canada with the Ottawa jail, the stories of like unofficial executions that happened inside the building, the things that the guards did that weren't reported. I, I don't, you know, not to say anything about anything political today, but I mean, back then they just didn't really give a crap. I mean, once, once the person was found guilty and this person was guilty of what they have done, you throw them in the jail and, you know, that's their life. Whatever happens to them happens to them. You kind of forget about them, you know? So this place just, you know, kind of fell into that role. Whatever rehabilitation they were shooting for did not work. And I think that happens when you stick people inside cages, six levels high, and that's all you're surrounded by. That's all you know. And that's just how it is. So as I mentioned, uh, violent stories usually mean ghost stories. And I do have some experiences for you. If you want to see the article that features these experiences, you can go to uh, Google and just do a search for Mansfield Reformatory Ghosts. I think that should be enough. I'm just going to check. Yeah, that should be enough. So it should come up at the very top uh, article that I, uh, I threw together. Shameless plug. Okay, so the first experience is from 2006. This was originally posted on a website called graveaddiction.com, which uh, I don't know if they actually exist anymore. I'm going to check just for you, the things I do for you. Okay, it's taken me to a page that I believe this is Chinese writing, so I don't, uh, it's not graveaddiction.com anymore, needless to say. So it was a woman named Carrie. So she was visiting Mansfield, and she says, I just got back from visiting Mansfield. and We had an experience in the cell marked with an X. So this is uh, during the tour. Uh, they take you around, I guess, the, some of the cells that are not too damaged and on levels that are still safe to climb up to. Uh, they'll take you inside. So I guess this one had an X. It's probably graffiti that was done by the inmate at one point. So that's how they identified it. Continuing on. Taken back to the cell block after a tour, nine of us and a guide heard something in the hallway. The guide went silent, sounding like there was running in the distance, and she yelled out, running is not allowed, thinking it was a guest that was doing it. And then she saw nobody was missing in her group. A distant cell door then slammed. And as we left the reformatory, I noticed our guide that uh, she was looking scared and she was soaked with sweat. So you can see even the guides are not immune to this. Uh, you know, you work in that building, you almost kind of accept the fact that something might happen to you. And this is the true with any of the most haunted places. If you work in there, you can almost expect, you know, if you're locking up at night by yourself, for example, that something might occur. You always keep that in the back of your mind because I hate hearing at the end of stories when the story, and it's so often that they're like, oh, something creepy happened and the person ran screaming from the building and never returned. <laughs> when I hear that, I, I just, I don't like it because I'm like, well, oh, come on, something happens to you in a building, you stay and experience it. 
I know a lot of people right now are shaking their heads disagreeing with me, but I say you stay and experience it because this is a rare occurrence and some of us, me included, are trying to prove that ghosts exist and that's a perfect way to do it. Uh, Here's another one, also was originally reported on Grave Addiction, now the Chinese site. Gina says, Our group was walking down metal stairs from the tower. My friend and I in the back with some high school students in front of us. I'm clumsy and held tight to my friend's hands in the railing. Someone slapped my back. I fell forward into my friend and over the side of the railing, my arm clutched as my muscles pulled to a painful angle. Then down to one knee, I quickly spun to face my attacker and no one was there. Now, I've talked about this kind of stuff uh, times before. The restless spirit that will um, try to push people down the stairs. And I always say it's never a push. Although this one, uh, maybe because it caught the woman off guard, Gina, caught Gina off guard, that she almost fell. But for the most part, you'll just feel like almost like a, a bit of a thud on your back. This is what I've been told. I've never experienced it personally myself. So this just caught her off guard. Maybe she freaked out and she like moved forward. She thought somebody was attacking her. That could explain the momentum. But I don't, I don't believe that any spirit, no matter how vivid, is able to like slap somebody in the back so hard that it would throw them over the side of a railing. I, I just don't think that's, that's possible. But that's just me. I'm sure Gina might disagree. Some of you listening might as well. Uh, we got another one here, was reported to the um, Mansfield Facebook page, and it was a person named Randy. They said, on my last visit to Mansfield, my camera and recorder picked up some tapping on the walls of a jail cell. My friend and I thought it was Morse code. My buddy was military and familiar with the code. He listened closely, but it wasn't Morse. We thought it a code developed by prisoners to communicate without the guards knowing. The tapping noise was caught on a recorder just inside that cell, and no other time during our visit. That's a good story because at the end he kind of adds the proof of it by saying that it was only inside that cell, so he couldn't say it was like some kind of background noise that was constant throughout the building, so I like that validation. And final story I have here was reported again to Grave Addiction, now the Chinese site. In 2007, a woman named Michelle was a, I believe, a volunteer. Yeah, a volunteer. Uh, she reported the following. I worked in, oh, maybe maybe worked, it was maybe not a volunteer, maybe an employee. She reported the following. I worked in Mansfield last year. 2006, and was assigned to the hole. Now, the hole is an unfortunate name for solitary confinement, which would have been down in the bottom part of the prison. Me and another girl in the empty space on opposite ends, we heard shuffling around in the hallway. Continue on. Thinking it was visitors who didn't know we were there, I looked over to the other girl and smiled as if to say, let's scare them. She smiled back which was obvious meant that she was uh, responding, saying, yeah, let's scare them. Continue on. We jumped out and screamed. The hallway was empty, and the shuffling was gone. 
uh, these uh, random noises that happen in haunted places, it's, it's a common occurrence. It's the one that is definitely played up on the TV shows because not the sound, uh, you know, like I'm questioning it anyway, but it's one of the easiest ones to fake because you can make noises in the distance. But I mean, the fact that the hallway was empty, there was no follow up with uh, Owen, one of the other co-workers jumped out and said, boo, and ha 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 ha, uh, hilarity ensued. That didn't happen at the end of this. And um, I mean, if somebody worked in Mansfield, knowing the seriousness of uh, the ghosts there, I can definitely see that as being a true experience. Now, the beauty of Mansfield as well is that you can visit it. So this isn't, they don't pay me to say this isn't any type of official plug, but just look up Mansfield Reformatory in Google uh, and you can you can book tours. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's about a six hour, six and a half hour drive from Southern Ontario, from Toronto to the Niagara area. And you can go visit, you can go through the building. They even have special ones where you can stay overnight. I've done that a couple times myself. And it's a good experience. I mean, especially if you're into investigation, you can do the overnight. If you're not into that, just go for an evening tour. And um, you'll get the ghost stories, you'll get the experience. So it's well worth it. A very creepy place. Okay, finally, I wanted to tell a personal experience. Now, this is kind of a weird one for me because I know my dog. Uh, My dog's name is Edgar, not named after Edgar Mills, just so you know. Uh, It's actually technically named after Edgar Allan Poe. And uh, he has an interesting personality that doesn't fit the way he's been acting recently. So he has a personality. He's very anxious. And uh, when you come into a room or you leave a room... He is extremely quick to react to it because he doesn't want to be left alone. It's kind of it's kind of adorable in a way, but I, I feel bad that he's uh, he's a little bit scared of like hears noises outside, uh, noises from neighbors and whatever, and it freaks him out a bit. So we try and keep him calm. So the fact that he reacts when we come in the room and when we leave, he follows us. I mean, he's attached to us in that way. Even adds more to this experience. So what was the experience? Good question. This uh, has happened multiple times, not just me, but my wife has seen it as well. We would uh, walk out of the kitchen towards the living room or we'd come downstairs and I'd be like, oh, you know, where's Edgar? He's usually near us, but he's not. And in the morning or in the night, it's happened like for me, maybe three or four times for my wife, like one or two. And he'll be sitting in the living room by himself, which is weird to start with, sitting in the middle of the living room, not looking towards the stairs where I'm coming down, but staring at the couch. And so if, you, if, you're, if you're staring at the living room from the stairway, the couch is kind of behind a side wall, uh, along the wall on the right-hand side. So he's sitting perfectly in the middle of the room. His face is towards the couch. And uh, the last couple times, because I I expected this now, I didn't say anything. I wanted to see what would happen. I was quite curious. And I I stopped after coming down the stairs, and I stared at him and didn't say anything. And he didn't react. He would have heard me. He would have heard me coming down the stairs. He didn't react. He just kept staring at the couch. 
And then finally, I uh, like grab his leash to take him out for a walk or whatever, and then he finally reacts. So this is a weird phenomenon. It's still going on. The last one was, uh, I think, two days ago from the recording of this podcast, which is uh, today would be March Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022. And I don't know like what's going to come of this. I don't know if like I, I do live in an older house. The house is about 120 years old. So I don't doubt there are some energies in here. Don't tell my wife I said that. Um, and uh, I mean, animals are sensitive to it. I don't know if you know that. But it is well known that animals are sensitive to the paranormal, to uh, spiritual energies that surround a place. The most um, prominent one in my mind that comes quick is at the Hermitage Ruins in Ancaster, even though it's in the middle of a conservation area now, uh, the Hermitage area and the pathway are well known for being void of regular animal life uh, in the daytime and at nighttime. And they say it's because the energy that surrounds that place, it's the animals are sensitive to it. So if you have like a cat in your house and your house is haunted or a dog in your house and your house is haunted, you know, I'm sure some of you are nodding your heads along with me right now. It is very well known that they will act in certain ways. They will avoid certain rooms. And this could be a good tool, not to say that your pet is a tool. Some pets might be tools, but that's a different story. Um, but it's a good tool to know which rooms and areas in the house are most active. And if you were going to do an investigation to try and figure it out, that's the areas you would focus on. So I'm starting to think maybe the living room in my house needs some investigation. So I might do that down the road. If I do, I'll I'll let you guys know for sure. Okay, that's it, everyone. Uh, Thanks, as always, for listening. I'll talk to you next week.